The nationwide protests for racial justice are also igniting a reckoning in the classroom and among some of the most prestigious private schools in the country. I shouldn't be the one educating my educators. They should be the ones educating me. So if they don't have a strong sense of what's going on in black history or with black representation, how can they help me? In year seven, I met some racist people. There's some people that just ruin it, you know, for the new people that coming in. In South Africa, racial tensions have sparked outside a high school in Cape Town. Demonstrators had picketed at the school on Monday after rumors that a matric leaving party was attended by only white students. You're listening to Exploring Boys Education, a regular podcast produced by the International Boys Schools Coalition. I'm Bruce Collins. In this episode, we speak with three school leaders about what it means to build anti-racist boys schools, schools where all boys feel like they belong. I'm really excited for you to dive into that conversation, but before we do, I've asked my colleague, IBSC COO, Amy Ahart, to join me again for the IBSC Newsreel. Amy, it's really good to have you on again. Our IBSC Ideas Lab programs are proving to be a wonderful opportunity for educators with common interests to connect. We have another new Ideas Lab launching soon, and I'd love you to share more about that one. Thank you, Bruce, and hello, listeners. IBSC Ideas Lab, Professional Conversations for Teachers of Color in Boys' Schools, launches on March 4th and has been designed for teachers and staff of color in IBSC member schools. Designed as an interactive exchange among colleagues, IBSC Ideas Lab engages dedicated educators who learn and grow together. Attendees will participate in three scheduled one-hour calls using Zoom. Jack Pinnell, founder and executive director of Baltimore Collegiate School for Boys in the United States, will be facilitating each session with thought-provoking input from guest presenters who contextualize each topic. For more information, visit our website and sign up soon as space is limited to 12 participants. Thank you so much, Amy. It's always good to hear about the wonderful programs IBSC has for members. As I said before, though, I am really excited for listeners to engage in this next conversation and to hear what our guests have to say. So without further ado, we're going to dive right in. Joining me for this very important conversation are three school leaders I admire and have learned much from in the time that I've known them. All three serve on the IBSC task force that was set up to recognize, acknowledge and address inequities in the lives of young men of color. So speaking with us today is Laurie Hamilton Durbin, who is head of school of Town School for Boys in San Francisco. Laurie, it's really good to have you on Exploring Boys Education again. Thank you, Bruce. Great to be here. Also from the United States is Jack Pennell, who is the founder and president of the Five Smooth Stones Foundation and is also the founder of Baltimore Collegiate School for Boys. And Jack, it's also your second time on Exploring Boys Education, and it's a a privilege to be talking with you again. So welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Bruce. And then last but not least is a fellow South African, which I'm really excited about, my uh, friend, Jakes Fredericks, who is the head of school at St. Stithian's Boys Preparatory School in Johannesburg. And likewise, Jake, I'm grateful that you're joining us today. Welcome to Exploring Boys Education. 
Thank you for this invite and the opportunity, Bruce. Thank you. So, Jack, I'd like to kickstart this conversation with you. You're the chair of the task force, which was established by the IBSC Board of Trustees in 2020. And before we have a conversation about some of the strategies schools can put in place and the actions that they can take with regards to addressing um, the inequalities and inequities we see in school spaces, I'd love for you to share um, some insight into the establishment of the task force, its current work, and and the objectives as the task force going forward. Thank you, Bruce. I uh, the uh, task force is really quite a significant step by the IBSC, its trustees who are forward thinking, and obviously um, we as trustees um, are responsible for a global organization, a global community of leaders, school leaders and school communities uh, serving boys. And of course, we saw this, uh, you know, in, in the wake of George Floyd and others who were assassinated by police officers here in the United States, we saw, we began to see um, a a worldwide awakening to issues of equity, racial justice. Uh, And it wasn't just an American problem or American concern. It would seem to us to be a global concern as we saw protests in Paris and Johannesburg and other places in London, Uh, thousands upon thousands of people stood in solidarity with each other around this question of equity. And so it seemed incumbent upon the uh, IBSC to say, what can we do? How can we add to this conversation? How can we uh, begin to have a deep uh, reflection and engagement with our member schools across the globe around this very important question? What does it mean to create uh, um, anti-racist, equitable institutions where all boys, regardless of their color or race or ethnicity, feel as if they belong to a school community and therefore belong to a global community that we knit together through the IBSC. Uh, So um, uh, seven or so leaders uh, with Tom Batty as our chair, having a vision for this with me, uh, we established this task force and The task force is meeting almost monthly and really diving deep into um, how we, one, first collect uh, the sentiment of the uh, schools of what's happening in your particular cultural context around racial equity and racial justice. And two, is like, what can we do as an organization to continue to promote and encourage uh, deep conversations around this topic. Thank you so much for that overview, Jack, very succinct. And I I do wanna mention that more information about the task force and a copy of the full statement that was crafted by the task force under your leadership is available on the IBSC website for people to read and download. And and that would probably give them more context for this conversation. And, And so as we talk about that statement, I'd like to turn our attention to the statement in which the IBSC recognizes that racism, marginalization, and systemic oppression are deeply rooted in our history throughout the world. And I thought it would be a great way to start this conversation is to explore all of the things uh, of which boys' schools need to be mindful as we reckon with our past, as we think about our history. I think that one of the key components is 
as we embark on this work is that we we keep the boys at the center, uh, their futures, their readiness for the world that they'll enter and helping them to fulfill their potential as empathetic and good human beings who will be enriched by connecting with others and having the capacity then to bridge differences, find similarities and work effectively in teams. Um, and so what we want to expand on our knowledge of and our capabilities with diversity, equity, and inclusion, we also need to do so, as mentioned by Jack, that by sustaining belonging. Uh, we're expanding our world to the benefit of everyone. It's not a zero-sum game. And that while we do the work, uh, we need to keep love and truth centered, um, you know, reckoning with our past does not mean that it has to be without warmth and care and hope for our present. We do not need to lay the blame at the feet of young boys, but we need to be very cognizant of what's developmentally appropriate for kids in their learning journeys and then bring more truths uh, from our history to them uh, and trust that they have the capabilities then to question and learn and consider how to move forward in a more positive way. And that, certainly that takes all of the adults being engaged with a learner's mindset, um, one that's rooted, rooted in personal inquiry and uh, a drive to learn. Every adult, teachers, faculty, staff, parents, and our actions then need, in the process of learning, need to reflect the inclusion that we seek to grow so that we're meeting people where they are. And boys' schools have a particular opportunity in the sense that, you know, men have in many societies played a power position role. Uh, and when there's a pivot in that learning stance, um, the impact is tremendous. And so I think that sense of, you know, hope and learning, truth and inclusion are really key. Um, I think Laurie's touched on most of it, but for me, it's about purpose. You know, what is the purpose of our schools? Why do we exist? Why do we come to work every morning? And ahead of an 8 to 13-year-old boys' school, I talk about um, growing young boys into good men. And, and for me, that's got to be the objective. Um, and if we keep that front of mind and centered in all that we do, I don't think we can not have this conversation. Um, it is about equipping boys to step outside of the um, bubbles that they live and grow up in and into the real world. And that real world is changing and, and it's asking of them to step up, um, to get rid of some of those um, almost um, shackles that they've lived under as young boys and young men, in particular in boys' schools, because our schools, unfortunately, because of our monastic nature, carries a certain kind of image that people have of our schools. And how do we equip those boys to go and live in the, in the real world, um, a world that is, is not just involving boys or a single sex? It's a, it's a world that asks of them to, to see women, to see other men, to see um, other people. Um, and that for me has to be what we keep front of mind when we work in this space in the boys' school. I, you know, I just want to follow up something that both Lori and Jake said, uh, Jake said that, um, you know, uh, one of our colleagues, Michael Phelan, who's the head of um, the Crescent School, said in a meeting recently, uh, the world is just crying out for better men. Uh, and I, I and I just love the way that's expressed. Uh, 
because I do, I do feel this kind of a collective anxiety that's happening around the world. Of course, it's in, you know compounded by COVID and everything else, politics, uh, world poverty. All of these are colliding into the issues of what kind of world are we preparing our boys for, and uh, and I we're preparing them to be better men. Um, and and there is a reckoning that has to happen uh, with history. Um, I love the way Lori just said. You know, we can love the present. We can we can think about our present contents of our work in loving ways. But I also think we can brace ourselves to have the hard conversations about the past and what has happened. So in the U.S. and elsewhere, um, um, our institutions are are having to decide, you know, what to do with the history of people who may have even founded the institution and that might have been slaveholders. You know, how do you have a conversation about that or statues, Confederate statues on your campus or um, uh, um, uh, alumni from the schools who are just had a devastating experience while there and uh, never want anything to do with the school? Those are really big issues for us, for me as the leader of um, a public, a state school that is 95% uh, African-American boys, um, there, um, I thought, and um, that we have, we're on the other side of this question. This, my school was created uh, as a form of protest and to create a sanctuary, you might say, for young black boys to flourish and grow in. But I also have started to, initiate with our board, which is diverse uh, by race um, and gender, to um, have um, anti-racism conversations and training with our board, which we're going to extend to our staff. Because I think there are questions that we have to say, you know, about ourselves. Why do we have a diverse board? Why isn't our board completely Black? Um, You know, why don't we have uh, completely black staff. There are people who say to me, you should only hire African-Americans to teach your boys. And I'm saying, that's not going to happen. That's not the reality of the world. I want a great teacher, no matter who they are. But it's a different question for me as an institution that's unapologetically black. Jakes, you know, I don't want to belabor the point, but it's great to have a fellow South African on the show because in, I, in the IBSC statement, there's a reference to our own Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Tutu who often references the philosophy of Ubuntu. And Tutu, in his address for the IBSC annual conference in Cape Town in 2015, and I was at that conference, uh, he said we were made for interdependence, Ubuntu. A person with Ubuntu is open and available to others, affirming of others, and does not feel threatened by the abilities of the other. We are diminished when others are humiliated. We are diminished when others are tortured or oppressed. Ubuntu speaks about our interconnectedness, and you cannot be human all by yourself. We think of ourselves far too often as individuals, Tutu said, separated from one another. And I love that that quote is included in the statement, but I I want to ask you, in your mind, why is it important for boys' schools to embody this quality that we're we're quite au fait with here in South Africa, this quality of Ubuntu? Bruce, um, yeah, I was I was also at that conference, and I I remember um, the art speaking so passionately about Ubuntu, and I remember a, a a session afterwards when somebody asked and said, "What does this word Ubuntu mean?" 
um, what does it look like um, in, a, in a South African or an African context? And um, the only way I could explain it to, to a colleague who wasn't sure what the word meant at the time was that it is about seeing people for who they are um, and being in that space and allowing people to be seen. And in boys' schools' environments, um, as I said earlier, when you talk about monastic schools, when you talk about boys' schools, um, people who haven't walked our corridors, what do they talk about when they talk about us? They talk about us as places that cultivate toxic masculinity. They talk about us as places that um, allows uh, misogyny and patriarchy to, to flourish and to, to, to stay alive. Um, and those are, are things and concepts that stands in direct opposition to the word Ubuntu that means humanity. Um, and for me, in a boys' school, that has got to change. And we are the ones who are the change agents. Um, what do we do within our school spaces? How do we, on our day, daily routines, what, how do we challenge some of those spoken and unspoken traditions that sits within our schools and in our school cultures? Um, and I, I firmly believe that we have got to challenge those because it's through those that we develop the true spirit of a boy and, and develop his true potential because our schools speak about competition. We know that that's part of boy growing up and the testosterone levels that kicks in and boys being competitive. How do we allow for that competitiveness to happen, but in a way that boys don't put each other down to the point that they look down on each other and, 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 um, bully each other um, through their competitive spirit. Um, and that's a challenge for all of us as, as boys school leaders and teachers and educators because that that is what we sell. We sell that um, lifestyle of being competitive, being active, um, being able to do things differently. Um, but for me, it's about finding that balance um, between the two of still engendering that spirit of a boy but at the same time, allowing that boy to see people around him and see the value in the people and understand that he can't be as, as the arch said in his, in his wonderful um, speech, that you can't be a human being on your own. You need other people around you. I am human through other human beings. Um, and that's what we have got to focus and keep focusing on with our boys. Um, it's that human connectedness that puts us in a space where I can see, although I'm not experiencing it firsthand, I can see the pain that a fellow student is going through or a staff member is experiencing or a parent is experiencing. And how do I, as an ally, assist, even though it's not directly influencing or affecting me? Um, and that for me is the spirit of Ubuntu that we've got to cultivate more in our, in our boys' school space. I'd love to add to that. I think the the active sense of compassion and empathy that Jakes is referring to is absolutely critical. Um, and I also then would connect it to at the institutional level that just from a sustainability standpoint, that if we're institutions that are, uh, you know, delivering uh, an outstanding education, we have to then be preparing the boys for a world where the interconnectedness is a fundamental requirement for solving problems. You know, what we could do separately and in isolation at one time no longer exists. And sort of the, 
the transdisciplinary nature of the world's global challenges will require that we can communicate and connect with others. Uh, and so for our institutions to stay relevant, uh, to meet their original purpose and mission, this evolution as part of the educational program is integral. Jack, maybe that's a good seek into, into the next question I have. And, and, you know, we spoke about recognizing and acknowledging the past earlier, but I'm sure there are other key things that boys' schools need to acknowledge as they journey in in doing this work. Um, you know, what are those things in your mind that boys' schools need to acknowledge in order to become organizations that truly embrace inclusivity and belonging? I um, I think I'm I'm curious uh, to what degree our boys' institutions see themselves as developing leaders in society. Um, uh, you know, leaders, not when I say leaders, I just don't mean to be uh, the prime minister or to be the president or to be a member of parliament or uh, a member of Congress, but I mean leaders in our communities, leaders in your field of work. Uh, uh, There's a special quality that, that leaders develop. And I think one important quality is we've talked about it is compassion and empathy for others, uh, um, a broad and universal curiosity about other people. Those are values that I think can be cultivated in our boys in, prep- in preparing them to be leaders. Uh, I certainly see our school as developing the next generation of young black men who will lead in our community, the nation and the world. And, we, and that's on the tip of our tongues in, every, that, uh, every, in everything we say and in our spirit of everything we do is that, young man, we want you to grow up, to, to assume agency in life, to assume responsibility for the world that's right in front of you, whatever that might be. Uh, and, and that, you know, there's a certain kind of consciousness that's needed today in the world so we can move forward from our past. Uh, we can unyoke the the burden of poverty that so many people experience around the world. Um, I loved, I mean, it wouldn't have been, if it weren't for IBSC, I don't think I would have gone to Australia and New Zealand when I did and was hosted by um, our friends in Australia and New Zealand, and in particular by um, uh, our, our friend at Westlake. Uh, and uh, and and I was greeted with a Mari greeting, uh, you know, a haka, and uh, and and the whole school did this thing, and and honoring me as a guest in their environment. And I was impressed with how New Zealand not only have they uh, been untouched by COVID, but how New Zealand has really addressed the past of the Mari and how it is a is a it really is a a country that lives alongside its history and that grows along its history. And I'm, you know, I'm excited to see uh, um, the work of the task force and what is, you know, contextual relationship will be in New Zealand and Australia and South Africa and London. I mean, in, in England, I'm just excited to see what are some commonalities and what are some places of divergence. Thanks for that, uh, Jack. I'd- 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that, that it's good to speak about these things and it's good to have these conversations in our schools. But I'm also very aware of the fact that conversation needs to move to action. You know, things need to happen in school spaces because we can speak about the theory, but taking action and real steps towards authentic inclusion is surely the most important part of the journey. So maybe we could have a conversation now, and I know a number of things are mentioned in um, the statement. Uh, the statement talks about uh, a recognition and accountability for implicit biases, things like addressing systemic and policy-based inequities within school, advocating for a world where every human life is embraced, and also, as, as we've spoken about um, earlier in this conversation, this idea of cultivating boys who are known for generosity, compassion, equity, and justice, the, this empathy we've spoken of. But I, I'd love to hear from the three of you, and I know there are probably tons of, of, of things out there that people are doing that are, that are good things to do, but what are some of the things that boys' schools might consider doing practically to build anti-racist schools, to build schools where every boy can find a place where he belongs and finds himself um, in truly in who he is. I would hearken to uh, some of the work by Peter Drucker, who is sort of a management guru, you know, who says that um, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. And I think that one of the key things is really beginning to establish what the markers are of your intended progress uh, and doing a deep, you know, data dive in how students are succeeding in your school, uh, what your retention is, what the leadership roles are, what the GPAs are, you know, how many candidates do you have representing different kinds of people in your um, job pools, you know, so many different factors that you take the time to inventory and uh, really track on, a, on an ongoing basis and then confront that data and ask yourself the hard questions as to what's getting in the way of progress. Why aren't things where they should be and begin to root at that. I, I think that also then has to be married with the professional development at the individual level, um, potentially provided at the inst by the institution, but also, you know, people individually uh, learning about their implicit bias, uh, things that they may have internalized messages about others, uh, and also coming to understand how their individual identity may impact the classroom uh, and the families and boys in the school. And I'm sure my, my colleagues here have more offerings, so I'll pause. I love what Laurie is saying around how do we challenge ourselves because um, measuring is everything for me. Um, if you what you value, you measure. And, and how do we create opportunities to measure in particular the culture that sits within our schools? Um, because we can have all the wonderful policies and sayings and things up on our walls that speaks about a school that's inclusive, but how do we measure that daily? How do we find ways of engaging meaningfully with our parents, with our boys of color, with our white boys and white families in our schools, because that's critical for me. It's that meaningful engagement with, with parents. It's about celebrating those personal achievements. And I can't celebrate personal achievements if I don't have a diverse staff, if I don't have a diverse leadership, student leadership, um, because then I'm only celebrating personal achievements that looks like something in a particular way. 
So how do I how do I look for those opportunities? How do I establish those school norms and values that that builds on a on a on a culture that speaks of us seeing each other? Um, we what does our curriculum look like? And in our space at the moment, we're doing a lot of work around that. It's around decolonizing our curriculum. How do we ask our teaching staff who are sometimes not of a particular culture or race to reflect on what they are teaching. Um, what does it look like? How does it land with the boys in your class? Um, how do I um, look at my management structure and ask, what do boys see? Are the only black faces that they see the people who are cleaning our schools, who are our teaching assistants, um, and, and who are doing the, 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 the jobs in our school that speaks to serving? Um, instead of leading. Now, I'm not for one minute saying that you are not serving when you are leading, but it's the role modeling of our space. Um, what do we do within that kind of spaces? So for me, it's about that. It's about interrogating the fiber of the school um, and not just the, the window dressing of um, putting a policy together and saying we've done our bit. Um, it's really looking in the mirror and holding that mirror up. And sometimes asking ourselves really tough questions and questions that we don't have answers to. Um, one of the key things I'm reminded of every day is that this work is never done. Um, and that for me has to be part of what you speak about when you talk about equality and transformation and diversity in a school space in particular. Um, the work is never done. Um, you can never get to a place where you say you have reached the end of the road. Um, because of the humanness of our space that we walk. Um, so those are, are important things for me. It's about, as Laurie said, the professional development of our staff, taking our parents along on that journey. And then in our cases of schools that have got long histories and traditions, it's how do we find the connection with our alumni and show them that the school that they've been through has not left the planet, that school's still here. It just looks different and feels different because of the different people that's walking that space. And how do we connect them to that? Those are the, are the key things that, that, that one has to work on, in my opinion, if you want to succeed. I am so inspired by the two of you and the work you're doing. And I can't wait to be present in your schools. And I, uh, I, I want to add, from my perspective, uh, we're looking at all those things, too, who we hire, how we hire. Um, and we're looking at curriculum, and I love your phrase, decolonization of the curriculum, which is a could be a, a whole conference, and uh, in, in, in a, a phrase that I would use in the U.S. The decolonization of curriculum. I found out recently there is no history textbook on Black American history. There's no textbook. It's never been created, and so and 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 I also read in in England that there, uh, there's a great debate in London, and, and in, uh, particularly in London, I think, um, around how do you teach Black British history? What does that look like? You know, who are the writers and the artists and, the, you know, the soldiers and all that? And how do we tell that story? In the U.S., we've been able to tell that story. But one thing that's important to me, um, and Brian Stevenson, who's one of my heroes, uh, the author of uh, Just Mercy, said... You know, we, we can't change the world. And we're talking about changing the world. That's what we're really talking about. We're talking about undoing systems that have been in place for hundreds of years, perhaps a millennium. 
Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and Brian Stevenson says that we must have proximity and reconciliation. And the proximity thing is one thing that we're working on. Uh, we have partnered with a, a school in England, uh, not, a, not an IBSC school, but this came about as a result of uh, conversations with the headmaster of this school that we're doing a, a book study together, a, a global book study with our staff and their staff um, and, uh, and really uh, exploring the, the cultural context of race and equity in the US and in England. Uh, and I think that's action. I think that's a wonderful action that the, the staff of this particular school, I think has only maybe one black staff member out of like 300 teachers. Uh, so, uh, so, so they recognize that that's a problem. And, and so we're bringing together people just to know each other because we live in such a segregated world. And then on the other side of proximity is reconciliation. How do we, how do we do what, what South Africa did is truth and reconciliation. How do we look at the past and how do we reconcile that with the present and think about our future together? I, I wish that the listeners could see the amount of head nodding going on in this conversation. <laughs> uh, you know, I, when we make space to have these conversations, we all learn. And, uh, you know, so that in of itself is an action. And I, I think there are two things that came to mind that I would add to what I said previously, which is um, position yourself and your community as listeners. So while you're gathering data and so forth, part of that data needs to be hearing from the people within your school. Uh, you know, there are tools called climate assessments that provide an opportunity for people to really speak to this notion of belonging. So bringing people together of different backgrounds does not necessarily mean that you've created a community of belonging. And so finding ways to really listen and hear what the experience is of your students and your teachers and your parents is one. And then the second, you know, both as a mom and as a head of a school that starts with kindergartners is, you know, building out the kind of emotional fluency of our boys uh, in their earliest years and helping them understand themselves, their identities, how to speak about how they feel and how to express themselves. You know, the societal messages tend to box that in and want to shut it down. And we have an opportunity uh, to kind of expand the world for these boys so that they do fulfill their potentials. And, and that is a direct action towards a more just society. Wow. Laurie's just reminded me of the, the Netflix story. Um, I'm currently reading the the book um, that's written about Netflix and the existence and how they've come into existence. And the first two chapters speaks about a great workplace is a place where there are stunning colleagues. Um, now I'm taking that a step further in my space and saying a great school is a school where there are stunning stakeholders, um, boys, parents, and staff. How do we find a way of creating a space where people feel that they are valued? That's, that's, that's essential. And, and the second part is around um, say what you really think with positive intent. Um, I, we, we sometimes cower away from having very frank and direct conversations because we, we know it is going to hurt the initially. But it's about giving ourselves permission 
to share and say, this is how I feel. Um, and then take it back from there and say, okay, how do we walk this back? Um, it's about how it lands. What, what do I say? What do I do? What are my actions? And how does it land with people in my space? Um, and especially when you work in, a, in an environment where you are in the minority. And I have had that kind of experience where I am a black head in a predominantly white community. Um, and it's a very different experience um, because I feel very closely what my black staff, black parents sometimes feel. Um, when they walk through the door. Um, it's an amazing one for me when I see prospective parents and I walk out to greet them when they sit in the foyer um, coming to meet me as the head of the school. And when you see the expression on some of their faces, they can't hide the fact that they expected something else to walk out that head's door. Um, you know, so it's a, and, it, and it's an interesting starting place. And I suppose, Laurie, in your case, it's interesting when people walk in and find a woman heading up a boys' school. Yes. It's, it's that kind of experience. And, and for me, those are the things that really connects us. When we can find authentic ways of giving voice to minority people within our space um, and hear that voice and not just treat it as a, I'm hearing the voice and I'm putting a plaster on. It's a, it's a case of saying, this is what the voice is saying. How do I create opportunities for that voice to become a voice that helps me change this space? One of the toughest things about being a podcast host is figuring out how to wrap up a conversation. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, Laurie, you said it, there's been much uh, head nodding. And I, and I think, you know, we, we should host more of these conversations because I think they unearth so many good things and so many people can learn from them. And I'm so pleased that so many people are going to hear from all of you um, and just what you've shared. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that that will spur people on to their own thoughts and their own conversations in their, in their own spaces. But before we go, and we are running out of time, I want to steal one last closing thought from each one of you. So Jack, I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. I uh, First, to, uh, to your listeners, uh, thank you for listening. You made it to the end of this podcast. That's great. <laughs> uh, and and I want to say, uh, stay tuned. Um, this task force is, uh, I've never worked with a group of people who are so amazing, stunning, stunning in their uh, engagement with this work and, 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 and like overseeing and stewarding something different. Um, within the IBSC. I, I'll say this again. The IBSC is one of the few organizations I know that's global in nature, but we feel like a community of people within that globalism. And so I think that's a rare opportunity to uh, produce amazing change in, in our given contexts and countries and nations. Uh, and I'm just beyond excited for the work we're about to do and to share with you the work that we are doing and to share with you um, actionable steps that we all should take together. It's hard to figure out the final sentence. I think, I, I think I'd say um, every step matters and the pace that's right for every school has to be determined by that school community's leaders. But uh, it takes courage, it's complex work, but it doesn't have to be done in isolation. You know, find colleagues like these wonderful men here and connect and share ideas and 
uh, keep in mind that overarching purpose of helping to make the world a better place. And that can make the challenge, you know, inspirational instead. And certainly I feel a great sense of humility journeying through this, uh, but being on the path in and of itself is fantastic. Most probably for me, Bruce, it's um, saying to everybody out there that the work that we are currently engaging in is messy. It is complex. It is frustrating. Um, but for me, the, the joy of the work is wrapped up in the statement that says, um, you can't criticize if you're not in the arena. So get into the arena um, because you can't criticize or, or speak about something if you're not in the arena. The dust and, and dirt has to sit on your face and on your hands. So get involved, help plant those seeds and help grow that garden that we all want to see, um, which is our boys succeeding and becoming good men. Well, Jake's. What a great way to end the conversation. You mentioned um, something that Brene Brown talks about, and anyone who knows me will know I'm a fanboy. So <laughs> that's a wonderful way to wrap it up. I want to express so much gratitude to all of you, to you, Laurie, Jack, Jakes, um, for being with me today and being part of this conversation. I know you're all super busy, heads of schools with loads on your plates, um, and we're spread across time zones for this recording. Um, so I want to thank you for all the effort you've put in to be here and to give of your time so that others can be challenged and others can grow and others can learn. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. I'm really pleased to share that in our next episode, we'll continue this important conversation as we connect with Greg Schneider, the headmaster of Belmont Hill School in the United States, as he unpacks for us in really practical terms, Belmont Hill's journey of inclusivity and belonging. Until then, thanks so much for listening and keep safe and well.